Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Strike authorized, agreement reached for nurses in Michigan. ATU members picket in Virginia. The issue, low wages and too much overtime. Today on the show, the Alliance for American Manufacturing and the North Coast Labor Federation. Welcome to the Thursday, December 15th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And do remember this, if you like a show, any show, share that show. We appreciate that. We're growing the show. And uh, thanks to you, we are closing in on the top 10% of podcasts in the United States of America. AWFpodcast.com. Everything is archived there. Scott Paul is going to be our first guest today. He is the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, which has been around since uh, 2007. Thanks to the Steelworkers, they helped uh, fund the organization, which is thriving today, AmericanManufacturing.org. Last couple of weeks, you heard me talk about their Made in the USA holiday gift guide. It's their ninth year they've been doing this. Get ideas from all 50 states, and uh, Scott's going to bring us up to speed on that. A couple of the stories that uh, we're going to delve into on the show today. It's really scary what's going on with the trade in America. This is something that we've been addressing for many, many years. And uh, recently, you try to do something, and then some organization kind of shoots it down. And here's a perfect example. The World Trade Organization, WTO, recently ruled that the United States violated trade rules by imposing steel and aluminum tariffs of 25% across the board Four years ago, 2018. Well, a number of groups, including the United Steelworkers, decried the ruling against the duties, which were imposed by the Trump administration on the argument that they were justified. You know why? National security. It was about preserving the steelmaking capacity that supplies plate and other steel products used for defense purposes. U.S. Steel said in a statement when this came out, making steel in America is critical to our national and economic security. And U.S. Steel commends the Biden administration for strongly defending American steelmaking at the World Trade Organization. The WTO should not get to decide U.S. national security policy. And we are confident that this World Trade Organization opinion will not affect the Section 232 policy, and it will remain in place. And from what I understand, Biden is standing firm on this. He's saying, you know what? Come on now. The world is dangerous. We have to make sure that we can continue to make steel in America. Bad decision. Scott will plow into that. The other uh, issue, and there's several here. This uh, is with China. The U.S., uh, China Economic Security Review Commission released its annual report outlining 39 policy recommendations to Congress on addressing the unfair trade practices and anti-competitive actions 
of the Chinese Communist Party. This has been going on a long time. The latest is uh, dealing with the solar panels. China was supposed to pay, and there's a lot of solar production in China, and they were supposed to pay certain tariffs on those panels that would eventually come to market in the United States. So you know what they did? And this is very common. They moved them through other countries that didn't have to pay those tariffs. They came from China, but they went through Vietnam, Malaysia. I mean, I think there are about five or six different uh, countries that they actually used to ship those solar panels here. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. And uh, one more here. The European Union, South Korea, and Japan are pressing President Biden to weaken America first manufacturing rules in his signature climate bill. That's the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. They're trying to do this before the first of the year. And the problem is electric vehicles assembled in North America will be eligible for rebates. These countries and the European Union, they don't want that. They don't want the rebates because they feel that's going to hurt them. What they should do is rebate their own vehicles. That would make sense, right? Make it more affordable for consumers. Pretty bright idea, huh? Lots to talk about with Scott Paul. Eric Sweeney will be filling in for uh, Pat Gallagher on behalf of the uh, North Coast Labor Federation and the Steelworkers. Pat is um, on the verge of retirement. He is... um, He's been with the Steelworkers for close to three decades and I talked to him recently and he's taking some vacation time right now. But officially, he will retire at the end of March and we're going to be talking to the uh, new rep here that will be replacing him in um, it might be it might be next uh, Friday. We might get a preview there. That's uh, a work in progress right now. Joining us today on the show will be Eric Sweeney. Now, uh, Eric serves as president of the West Central Labor Council. He's a staff rep for the steelworkers. And one of the things he's going to talk about is what happened recently at the BP Husky Toledo Refinery in Oregon, Ohio. Two brothers, two brothers, Max and Ben Morrissey, died in that fire. In a statement, BP said, it is with deep sadness we report that two staff, BP staff, injured in a fire at the Husky Toledo Refinery have passed away. Our thoughts are with the families and loved ones of these two individuals. All other staff is accounted for, and uh, their employee assistance team is still working with the, uh, the staff over there. That fire, by the way, comes just over a month after BP agreed to sell its 50% interest in the plant to join venture partner Cenevis Energy. And this is a big deal, $300 million deal. Again, refineries, very dangerous places to work. And I'm sure Eric Sweeney will have a lot more to talk about with regard to that fire. The other thing he's going to talk about is uh, he is currently participating in contract talks with the Hollywood, Toledo, and Columbus casinos. There's a number of unions that are involved in casinos, and the Steelworkers is just one of them. So uh, Eric Sweeney will be filling in for uh, Pat Gallagher 
on the show today. Unions in the news, making news. This labor update brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. More than 300 nurses at Ascension Borges Hospital, this is in Kalamazoo, Michigan, reached a tentative agreement with the hospital's administration for a new three-year contract. The new agreement between Ascension and the Michigan Nurses Association, which is an affiliate of National Nurses United, will provide average wage increases of 20.5% in year one of the contract. It will also boost shift differentials and on-call pay and include an additional emergency personal day. The agreement was reached after 86% of voting members at the Ascension Borges Hospital passed a resolution authorizing a strike. I guess that got their attention, don't you think? The South Central Michigan Area Labor Council helped win the contract by delivering supplies, coordinating, and walking in solidarity shifts and speaking in support of the nurses' informational picket line. With their contract set to expire at the start of the new year, dozens of members of Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1493 picketed last week to raise the alarm about the poor condition of Valley Metro, a transit company owned by the city of Roanoke, Virginia. Local 1493 executive board member J.J. Richards explained that while the transit company is willing to offer double pay to workers for frequent overtime, management has so far been unwilling to negotiate wage increases to attract new workers to the profession. That's that's happening all over right now. The uh, bus drivers and mechanics are seeking to sit down with management and negotiate a new agreement to fix the city's ailing transit system. Valley Metro Management has yet to agree to a date to bargain with the union. Richard said, our drivers are angry and we're mad right now. Yeah, can you blame them? You know, last week, uh, workers at Ultium Cells voted overwhelmingly in favor of forming a union with the UAW. I talked about this briefly the other day, but I didn't have the vote. (laughs) Listen to the vote here. 710 to 16. Yeah. Talk about overwhelming. The uh, massive organizing win at the car battery manufacturer which is jointly owned by General Motors and LG Energy Solutions, is a strong sign of worker power. Got a comment here from Ray Curry. Ray is the uh, president of the United Auto Workers. He said, our entire union welcomes our latest members from Ultium. The uh, auto industry is transitioning right now to EVs, and new workers entering the auto sector at plants like Ultium are thinking about their value and worth, and obviously going to the union side here. I just want to mention once again, I'm getting a lot of emails here from the uh, AFL-CIO to, uh, to talk about the 2023 Martin Luther King Conference that's uh, sponsored by the AFL-CIO. You might want to go to this website, the mlkconference.org get all the information, and you can register. They're trying to get as many unions as possible, and many do register. 
but it's just going to be a couple weeks away here, right before the uh, Martin Luther King holiday. It's the weekend before that. The AFL-CIO says, as we have seen over the past several years, there is so much work left to be done to advance civil and human rights both across the country and inside our own labor movement. We hope you will join us for this engaging, inspiring, and educational experience. Again, the website is themlkconference.org. All right, quick break. Scott Paul on behalf of the Alliance for American Manufacturing coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Washington right now. Join one of our regulars, also proud sponsor of America's Workforce. That would be the Alliance for American Manufacturing. AmericanManufacturing.org is their website and their president, Mr. Scott Paul, joining us. You heard me here talk about the Made in America holiday gift guide. We are, uh, what is it? 10 days out to Christmas. So you want to do some shopping? You can do it right now online. Mr. Paul, welcome back to the show. I, I guess we're at crunch time now, aren't we? We are indeed at crunch time, unless you're going to uh, head down the street to find something at the last minute, which which I've done, I'll confess, occasionally. But, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, if, if you want to take a look at some of these offerings from around the country, um, we have uh, gift ideas that are made in every state in the nation. Um, we've been doing this for nine years. Uh, the latest uh, version of this, uh, I think, in many ways, is the best because it just has something for uh, for every need. You know, if you are looking for kids' toys, there's stuff that's uh, made in Ohio or an innovative shot glass or something that's made in Wisconsin or a, a sweater for your dog uh, made in Minnesota uh, or even chapstick uh, as a stocking stuffer, which is, by the way, made by union steelworkers uh, in Richmond, Virginia. There, there really is something for everything on this guide. And, and Flash, the best thing about it 
is that a made in America gift is uh, means a lot to whoever is buying it, but uh, it, it always brings a smile. Uh, to the recipient because it's uh, it's touching and it's, I think, surprising uh, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and the last time you and I talked, uh, there's some surveys out there that uh, show people want to purchase made-in-America goods. They're, they're tired of getting products from overseas, especially in some of the areas like in China where it's, uh, it's pretty much slave labor in some of the provinces there. Um, I know there's some legislation, um, This I believe it was Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin, yeah. that introduced some legislation to fix the labeling laws. Now, I don't know if anything's going on in the lame duck Congress on that. What, 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 can you bring us up to speed on that? Anything new on that? Yeah, Flash, it's a great question. So, the in fact, the country of origin uh, labeling online, um, it, it's a big deal because if you go into a store – uh, even if it's a, you know if it's a grocery store or a retail store, you can always find a label, and that label has country of origin information about where that product is made. That sure. is not the case if you're advertising online. You do not have to do this. So this bill says yes, you do. You do have to do. It. You have to say where it's made because this is consumer right to know stuff. It was included uh, much earlier in the House version of what eventually became the the Chips Act, that semiconductor bill. But it was taken out. Uh, I don't know that there's going to be a chance to get it back uh, this year unless the, the things change dramatically. So it'll be, I think, one of those items that's going to carry over that we'll have to uh, get reintroduced and try to get across the finish line. But we know there's massive support for it. And even though the House and the Senate uh, are virtually evenly divided, right, uh, I mean, we know from voter surveys that this is an issue that Democrats, Republicans overwhelmingly agree on and so hopefully we can get that labeling bill done soon how is the uh, reaction to your guide this year i know you've been doing this uh, for nine years now i would imagine you're getting more and more traction on on your website people are going to that yeah yeah i mean we we have seen exponential growth um, on, uh, on, on the traffic. Uh, and also just anecdotally, and I will say, you know, this is the season of holiday parties. I was just at one last night and had three or four people come up and say, Hey, love the gift guide. I buy something from it every year for people or, uh, and it was just astounding to, to, to hear that. Um, and I know that the, our staff that curates it spends a lot of time uh, pouring over uh, a lot of different options to go into it. And so it really is making a difference. And, you know, we've talked to merchants uh, in the past as well who have said that for them it does mean uh, that they do see a boost in sales. Uh, so it's making a difference uh, for, for someone who's uh, making products in America. Um, and, and so we, we love to keep them busy uh, and we love to keep uh, uh, the, uh, you know, people happy, whether it's kids or dog owners or people who uh, like to like, like to have a cocktail or uh, anybody. I mean, yeah. it's really something for everybody on that list. Yeah. A lot of these uh, that are listed in the Made in America holiday gift guide are mom and pop shops. And, you, and we all know what happened uh, with, you know, the corporate takeover of America and how Wall Street's got their dirty little hands on just about every Everybody, every company yeah. in the uh, country. So this is a good opportunity to support those uh, those local businesses. Again, just go to AmericanManufacturing.org. Good stuff there. Okay, let's turn the page over to uh, 
the I, I was talking earlier in the show about the WTO, the World Trade Organization announcement on the on the tariffs, and this goes back to the Trump administration. And Scott, I, I don't, I can't figure this one out here. We're talking about our defense. We need steel to support our defense industry. We got to have American-made steel. It's important, and apparently the WTO. The World Trade Organization doesn't understand that. Can you explain what's going on here? I wish I could explain the World Trade Organization to you, Flash, <laughs> but it's a, it's a little mystifying. And this was one of the fears that, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that you've heard expressed and, and, and you probably feel as well about the about the World Trade Organization all along is that it doesn't get a lot of these concerns. And so uh, just to rewind the tape a bit, you know, in uh, 2018, the Trump administration put tariffs on steel and aluminum. It's very controversial, but I will say uh, it's really boosted the steel industry in America, uh, and it's back on its feet, and these mills are hiring, uh, and they're stable, and they've been able to invest in uh, in, in clean steelmaking technology uh, and to get more competitive. So it's, it's having the desired effect, but yeah, some of our trade uh, our trade competitors took a case to the WTO, said they can't do this, they can't raise the tariffs. Uh, WTO panel said, you're right, they can't, they can't raise the tariffs. But, but here's the deal. Um, the, the Biden administration, and this was the key thing, the reaction to the World Trade Organization, you know, in the past, Democratic administrations would have said, oh, okay, well, if the WTO doesn't agree with it, we're going to get rid of it. The Biden administration said, WTO, you can stuff it. Basically, they said we we are going to reserve the right to uh, enact policies that are critical for our national security, including the steel tariffs. And so ultimately, because the WTO is broken uh, and in a lot of ways, you know, the U.S. is going to appeal this ruling. There's actually not even an appellate body that can hear it. And so nothing's going to happen basically from this WTO uh-huh. other than kind of naming and shaming. But the but but I would say the Biden administration to its great credit has broken from where the Obama administration was and where the Bush administration was and where the Clinton administration was. And they've said, you know, we're all about free trade when that's possible, but we also need to protect our national security. So we're gonna keep these tariffs in place and uh, we appreciate it, WTO, but no thank you. Now doesn't the World Trade Organization has a history of being on our side, especially when it comes to, uh, like, China dumping steel in the United States? Haven't they been on our side pretty much? Well, yeah, we have taken uh, well, two things, I will say. Yes, we have selectively taken some cases to the World Trade Organization accusing China of unfair trade practices. Uh, those cases often take years to settle, uh, and, and, and we've been able to uh, get a little bit of relief out of those. We've also had our trade laws attacked at the WTO repeatedly. In fact, uh, there have been more challenges against UX, U.S. actions than any other uh, country uh, at all. And, 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 and even though we have, in a lot of ways, by far, you know, the biggest trade deficit, you know, one of the most open markets, uh, despite some tariffs. And uh, and so it just shows that, you know, we we do need to think about how these international trade rules are impacting us, particularly as we have these other concerns about workers' rights or uh, carbon 
reduction um, or what is fair and equitable and how to, how to you know, defend yourself if you're trying to right. make things that are critical for your national security. So a lot of unanswered questions there, but the Biden administration had exactly the right response to the WTO in, in, in this case, which was, you know what, we're going to keep the tariffs in place and we're going to defend our national security. Yeah, national security is number one. Scott Paul from the Alliance for American Manufacturing joining us. AmericanManufacturing.org is a website. We'll continue the conversation with him. Commerce Department says foreign solar companies circumvented U.S. trade duties. We'll talk about that and more later in the show. Eric Sweeney will be checking in on behalf of the Steelworkers and the North Coast Labor Federation. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go uh, back to Washington right now. Rejoin Scott Paul on behalf of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. AmericanManufacturing.org, the website. All right, Scott, talk to me about these uh, solar companies. And uh, here's a sneaky China once again that uh, apparently, I I guess, they uh, went through various countries to dump their panels here, and they got caught. (laughs) They got caught. Well, maybe you could fill in the details. Go ahead. Yeah, there's there's a backstory to this where, you know, the U.S. solar industry finally getting some attention, right? You know, and, yeah. and so we have some policies to try to boost, uh, you know, uh, uptake for residential commercial utility solar power in the United States. But we don't make a lot of it. And one of the reasons why we don't make a lot of it is because uh, it is there is a massive industry in China uh, that leans heavily on uh, questionable forced labor uh, for polysilicon, which is a a uh, key ingredient in solar panels uh, that's made in the Uyghur region, which some people may have heard about uh, because of the atrocities there. 
And uh, and so a few years ago, um, there was a successful trade case brought against these Chinese solar panels coming in, and there were tariffs put on. Well, these companies uh, have a great way of figuring workarounds, Flash. And so what they did is basically take all of their ingredients for and, and materials and parts for making the the solar panels, and they just uh, put them together in a different country, in Malaysia or uh, Vietnam or a few others like that. And so the uh, one U.S. producer, solar panel producer, said, "Hey, you know, there's, there's, you know, they're, they're doing a workaround here, which is called circumvention in the trade laws. So we should put tariffs on these uh, solar panels as well, coming coming from a couple of these other countries." And um, and so, yeah, the Commerce said, Commerce Department said, yeah, in, in, in many of these cases, we agree there should be tariffs. Now, this, this relief is going to be delayed a little bit because there were a lot of solar panel installations that were happening and a lot of the imports coming in. And so the Biden administration um, granted a little bit of a reprieve on it, but eventually – there will be tariffs on these other solar panels coming in. And, and the impact of that flash along with the resources that are available through the clean energy legislation that was passed uh, a little earlier this year uh, mean that we're going to see a massive amount of solar plant investment in the United States. In fact, we've already seen it. We've seen it announcements in Toledo, Ohio and in Georgia. Uh, and in uh, Oregon and in other states as well of solar panel producers either expanding their operations or making new ones. Mm -hmm. And it's primarily because they couldn't compete with China, right? Well, yeah, it's impossible to compete with what is literally slave labor um, and uh, resources that are extracted in uh, terrible conditions. And so, uh, and that are heavily subsidized by the Chinese government. There's no way to compete with that. And so, So, yeah, there's this relief, uh, and, and now the, the, the whack-a-mole is at least going to be stopped a little bit, and, uh, and hopefully it will give a little bit of room for these solar panel manufacturers who want to scale up in the United States to be able to do that and know they're going to have a market and they're going to have a level playing field, and they're not going to be undercut by uh, imported solar panels that are not uh, fairly traded. You know, we should point out that China is in a weakened state right now. And I heard a story this morning that uh, the COVID situation has exploded over there. And we're looking at like uh, 800 million people may be infected. And it's just going to shut down a lot of factories right now. It's, It's amazing what has happened in China. And that being said, you know, we still have a lot of U.S. companies there. And one of them is Apple. And I remember talking to you a couple of months ago. A number of companies have left China because of what we talk about on this show on how they use a pretty much a slave labor and it's just the, the work conditions. And obviously the Chinese communist government subsidizes their industries. But Intel is one of those companies. What's the latest on Apple here? Are they finally getting the message here, uh, Scott? Well, I would say they've been as innovative as that company is. Uh, they've been slow on the uptake on supply chain realignment and um, and in a lot of ways it doubled down on Chinese production when other companies were leading. There are some some signs that they are changing their tone. Uh, and one of those is that, you know, Apple was, you know, had been leaning on semiconductors that were made in Asia, uh, many of which were made in China. 
uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, went to the uh, kind of the ribbon-cutting ceremony for a, a new semiconductor factory uh, by the company uh, TSMC uh, in Arizona that uh, Joe Biden attended and said he's going to buy semiconductors from that factory. So that's one change. And then another change that we've seen is that at least some of the production that uh, that Apple had been doing of its uh, assembly of its iPhones uh, in China looks like it's going to be shifting to India, um, not to the United States, but to India, uh, but out, out of China. And so um, when you see Apple make moves like this, you know, they're they're kind of like the last last man standing uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways in, in China. And so it, it shows, uh, Flash, to your point, the kind of disruption uh, that we've seen and just generally beyond COVID, the uh, the direction that uh, Xi Jinping, the Communist Party, want to take China, they're, they're becoming more insular, less welcoming to foreign investment. And so there's all, all sorts of good reasons for Apple to leave. And, and hopefully we can get some of that, some more of that back here to the United States, because I'm, you know, we could we could we could certainly use it. And I think we could do it, too. I think we could uh, help out Apple out, um, be, be profitable and productive uh, and, and make more things right here in the United States. Well, we got a long way to go, and uh, I just go back to that. I believe it was the economic policy report of some months ago, and they pointed out uh, with the normalizing of relations with China, which goes back to 2001, and they didn't even do the full 20 years. But uh, I think the first 17 years, we saw close to 4 million jobs in this country disappear because of the policy that came out of the United States, normalizing relations with China. And, uh, I mean, we saw so many companies just disappear. They disappear because of, uh, of what we talk about on this show. Very sad, very sad. Okay, let's switch over to um, <laughs> the EV production here. And apparently um, a couple of countries, let's see, South Korea, Japan, the European Union, are um, coming down on President Biden. And they want, <laughs> yeah. they want him to weaken America first manufacturing rules in the uh, now th- is this the Inflation Reduction Act is that what we're talking That's about That's right. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay, I- explain what's going on. Yeah. Well, as you'll recall, you know, consumers will be able to get a $7500 tax rebate for purchasing qualifying electric vehicles that are made in the United States as well as Mexico and Canada. And this was one of the provisions that was passed as as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. So the Europeans have their hair on fire about this. They think it's going to exclude them from the U.S. market. Um, They just think the U.S. is being very protectionist, even though I'm going to point out that they've had similar policies in place for decades in the European Union that have helped uh, launch them into a massive automotive trade surplus with the U.S. over that period of time. So Uh so they they ought to be looking in the mirror on this stuff. And so I'm I'm glad because I think Biden is going to hold firm on this. Uh, And and Joe Manchin, who was one of the you know, one of the final architects of that Inflation Reduction Act, because he was the key vote, feels very strongly uh, about having this kind of made in America tax credit. And, and so it doesn't mean that you couldn't sell European, you know, vehicles in the United States. In fact, there's a lot of these companies, Mercedes, um, uh, BMW uh, and uh, v- VW come to mind, Volkswagen, that already have operations in the United States of America that are making cars in the U.S. for the market. If they made electric vehicles uh, that, that qualify and their batteries made in the United States, 
they get the $7,500 tax credit. So um, so it's not going to actually be that disruptive to the Europeans. But I think there are some cooler heads in Europe that may prevail on this. And and I'm all for if Europe wants to do buy European for its own market, I'm good with that. You know, whatever is going to help uh, reduce carbon, bring on electric vehicle, uh, you know, uh, scaling it up for the consumer market, uh, and also shutting down unfair trade practices coming from China. Uh, so yeah. I think it could be a win-win, and I think that they ought to start pointing the finger other directions other than Joe Biden, <laughs> who I think wants a very warm – close relationship with Europe, but is like, I'm not going to sacrifice our industry to do it, guys. So other presidents may have done that, but I'm not going to do it. Good for Joe Biden. Yeah, good for him. I I know they want Europe united, especially with with what's going on in Ukraine. I I get that part. It's very important. But, uh, you know, you got to draw the line on some of this stuff here. And we're talking about a tax credit of $7,500 here. Pretty significant. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. I I know the, um, the auto workers are trying to boost that to like another four or five thousand if you would purchase a union made electric vehicle and i don't think that legislation uh finally passed but uh, you know they're going to keep trying especially in the new congress on that yeah you want you want to you know those, those vehicles are going to be pricey let's be honest here so any help yeah they're, consumer- they're a little more right eventually the the price will come down now they're a little but this has helped to offset that but you can find some entry-level EVs for the upper 30,000s. And you're, if you're taking 20% off the bill, you know, yeah. that's a, that, that makes it. And, and you're not, you're not putting a, a single gallon of gas into your car. That's probably another four or $5,000 of savings uh, over the right. next four or five years. So yeah. it adds up. Uh, so it's, it's going to, it's going to be an attractive feature for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, and I'm dating myself here. Remember when the big TVs came out, the flat screens and VCR, <laughs> yeah. I paid, I remember paying once, I think it was over $500 for a VCR. And then they dropped oh, yeah. you like 50 yeah. bucks, you know, in the TV. Right. <laughs> I I saw a smart TV. This was a 32-inch, a 32-inch smart TV for $80. I mean, that's ridiculous today. So, yes, you know, with consumer demand and competition, these things come down. All good stuff, Scott Paul. Scott, you know, this is the, uh, the last show that you and I are going to do here in uh, 2022. And I'll tell you, um, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, going into the new year here. I mean, with this administration, we, we saw some major policy come out of this administration, starting with the rescue plan. We talked about the Inflation Reduction Act, the uh, Infrastructure Bill, and obviously the CHIPS Act. That's huge. Again, these policies are going to take some time. But, you know, on behalf of the alliance, I mean, you're sitting in a pretty good place right now, Scott, don't you think? Yeah, we we just we got to make sure that we keep the momentum up because uh, you know if 2022 was the year of uh, factory uh, ribbon cuttings, you know for for building them, we want 2023 to be the year of factory hiring, and we think we can do it. But there's yeah, there's a lot of momentum, and we're looking to keep it up, and we're gonna fight back any attempts to kind of undo it. Uh, so we got to yeah, we're gonna keep this headed in the right direction. Flash, it's 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 been a good year, and we've had a lot of good support uh, from lawmakers and from this administration to try to get uh, pro-manufacturing, pro-worker legislation across the finish line here. There you go. AmericanManufacturing.org is a website you want to go to and make sure you check out that uh, Made in the USA holiday gift guide. Mr. Paul, you take care. Best of the holidays. We'll talk to you uh, in the new year. Okay, brother? Likewise, Flash. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And uh, here's to a great 2023. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. Eric Sweeney filling in for Pat Gallagher on behalf of the North Coast Labor Federation. He's coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this next segment brought to you by the North Coast Labor Federation. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get that word union in there. AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to uh, Columbus, Ohio right now. Joining us on our live line is Eric Sweeney. Eric is a staff rep for the United Steelworkers. This is our segment. We uh, often talk about the Steelworkers and the North Coast Labor Federation with Pat Gallagher. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, he is... uh, slowly easing his way out and on to retirement. He'll officially retire at the uh, end of March. And Eric is filling in for Pat. Pat is uh, celebrating the holiday season right now. Eric Sweeney, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, brother? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, 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 good. I was reading earlier about what happened a couple of months ago at the uh, BP Husky Toledo refinery. And I know two, uh, two steelworker brothers passed away my young too, max and ben morrissey am i pronouncing that name correct is that is that right okay it's morrissey yes morrissey 34 and 32 years of age what happened here can you give us some details um so you know basically there was uh there was a process upset um you know in, in it was going on for several hours, and uh, they, in the process of it, there was a release. Um, uh, these these two brothers, uh, one has been in the plant for about three years. The other one was still um, young, about six, seven months, I believe. Uh, so one brother was training the other brother. They were out there responding to the incident and trying to uh, assist to get things back around. And there was a release. They hit a furnace and um, and there was an explosion. So they pretty much died instantly then? No, they didn't. Um, from my understanding, um, they were trapped and had to make a run for it. Um, and they came through the fire and um, it just, um, yes. So they, they, uh, they ended up 
this was at the beginning of the night shift of September 20th. Uh, they were, they were transported and, um, you know, later, uh, died, uh, in the hospital. Oh, that's horrible. Just horrible. Where are we with the investigation on this? And first thing that comes to mind, I mean, uh, you know, refineries, very dangerous places, very dangerous places. I know there's a lot of safety protocols that workers have to go through, but accidents do happen. And I don't know who's at fault here, but where are we? I know OSHA's investigating. Anything new on that? Um, So there's... um Multiple investigations going on at once. Um, OSHA is doing their investigation. BP is doing their investigation themselves. Um, The local union is looking into things. And the Chemical Safety Board actually have come in and and done um, an investigation on this. Uh, Look, it's, you know, we're we're certainly not going to point fingers. We'll let the investigation do that. Um, these things take time. There's a lot of things to look into. Uh, this refinery was, had just come out of a major, major turnaround. Um, there were some changes made. Um, they obviously have to look at all that stuff and see if there was some type of, you know, mistake in, uh, workmanship or if there was a mistake in design or any of that stuff. And and so there's a lot to look at. Um, and so I I think it's going to take a while um, to get the answer, but, but quite frankly, that's fine because we want the right answer. Right. We have a lot of refineries around the country, around the world, and and you know, if this if there's this potential out there, we want the right answer so we can share that with the other refineries, and this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Well, we have refineries out there. I don't know if we have a lot of them. I, I've heard that some of these refineries are uh, they some of them shut down. I mean, that's why the price of diesel is kind of high right now. Do you know anything about that, Eric? So. Yes, we. I mean, we've certainly had a, a lot of refineries uh, shut down. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's 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 a very unfortunate thing that's happening. And um, you know, the the reality is, is a lot of people just just think of gas and diesel and stuff like that. But quite frankly, um, without petrochemicals, uh, without you know, petroleum-based products. I mean, you can't make anything. The roads you drive on, the the stuff in your car, they talk about, oh, well, electric cars. Well, guess what? You can't make an electric car without petroleum products. Right. And so it's, it's a really narrow-sighted view of, um, you know, our dependence on fossil fuel to just think that we can go to electric cars and do away with it because we can't. And, um, you know, so so basically all all that's happening is if we continue down this route with, uh, you know, environmentalists trying to push the, it out of the United States is we're just going to become reliant on foreign um, processing. And, yes. um, you know, we're still going to need it. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we make some of the cleanest uh, petroleum products in the entire world. So, you know, it's it's like they want to legislate our way out of it and act like the uh, United States is a bubble and we have our own environment. That's not the way it works. It's a world yeah. environment. Oh, we have a tremendous thirst for uh, energy in this country, whether it's oil, nuclear, coal, natural gas. I mean, we need it all. We need it all, to your point. Absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm reading about this plant, this uh, refinery. We're talking about the BP Husky Toledo refinery. It's a uh, just east of Toledo on the western tip of Lake Erie, and it's um, apparently been processing around 160,000 
barrels of oil per day. There's about 800 on staff. Eric, to your knowledge, has there been any other accidents there that you're aware of? I'm, I'm just wondering how their safety record is. I'm sure that's all being discussed right now. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 looked at stuff, and you know, the reality is it it's a dangerous job. Um, yeah, you know, you uh, you know, I hate to to make light of it or anything like that, but you but you work around things that uh, really just have an affinity to catch on fire, and uh, you know, so if you work in a refinery, you you fall some fires, you fall some small fires, you've seen some fires, um, you know, it it just happens, and um, yeah. so it's it's a very dangerous place, but. You know the the thing about it is they they are they're very trained on safety. They've got their own fire brigade. They um, are you know they we have hourly safety reps, company safety reps. We we you know meet and discuss. We have joint health safety council. I mean we we try to do the best we can in these facilities to um, you know make things as safe as possible. With the reality that it is just not safe. Right. Um, right. You know it, it can never fully be safe, but. Um, we, we do the best we can, but if you, if you look across the industry, um, you know, unfortunately these incidents do happen from time to time. And so, you know, um, you know, when, when the oil industry is bargaining with the companies, you know, the, 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 the first thing on their mind is, is safety. You know, everybody wants wages, everybody wants healthcare, everybody wants better retirement, but we're constantly, constantly looking at things that make us safer, um, because we have, unfortunately, you know, I've been in the industry for over 22 years. And in that time, we've lost many, many of our brothers and sisters. So it's um, a reality. I want to come so home. Be, yeah, absolutely. No, Nobody, you know, wakes up and goes to work to not come home. You know, I mean, it's just, um, these are inherently dangerous jobs. And that's why the training is so rigorous. Yep. All right, we got a couple minutes left. I understand you're uh, currently in some contract talks with the, let's see, the Hollywood Toledo and Columbus Casinos. And I know a couple of unions get involved in casinos. Uh, Steelworkers' role in there, and how's how's that going, Eric? Uh, look, it's, uh, you know, it's it's uh, very, very slow. Um, it's, it's rough. Um, you know, there's just some... Uh, Core differences of opinions between us and the casinos. Um, uh, the the casinos, I, I, unfortunately, I think uh, kind of their frame of thinking is that uh, um, you know they can pay low wages and rely on the public to tip the employees, and then go out and advertise that they pay so well. And and the reality is is that uh, the wage that they advertise um, for. Uh, that the workers make, that the dealers make, 75% of that is funded by public tipping and, and not themselves. And so there's just kind of a a, uh, a moral difference in how we view these things, and we're, and we're trying to work our way through it, but it's tough. Yeah. And we all know they make a whole lot of money. They take in, Yes, they, they do. <laughs> they take yes, in a lot do. of money. As the, but... other, <laughs> as the other staff representative that I'm working with says, is, uh, you know, and he's, he's told them many times that they basically print money. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, but they don't want to give it out to workers. That's the problem. No, no, and it's you know what I you no know, look. This is not just this is not just with the casino, but this is 
this is kind of a moral difference that I have with 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 jobs out there. You know, this, this these casinos are expanding; they're building hotels, which which is great. You know, that more jobs are making an investment, um, but they're getting lots and lots of tax subsidies to to help and assistance and grants, whatever the you know to to lower the cost of of that expansion. Yet the majority of their workers qualify for public assistance. Oh, that's sad. I just yeah, I, really I have a just a difference of opinion on on whether that's right or wrong. Um, I believe that's completely wrong. I believe that if you do not um, supply a a a living wage, um, you shouldn't be eligible for those uh, tax breaks. Um, you know, the government shouldn't have to pay to support your business and then turn around and pay to support their families. Can we bring up Amazon here? <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and you know the, the the little thing that they you know got on where they talked about Amazon, where hey, Alexa, tip my driver and stuff like that. Well, guess what? That's to get the drivers more money, and you pay it, and they don't. Um, yeah, it sounds great, but uh, quite frankly, Amazon's I think I believe probably the richest corporation in the world right now, and they don't pay their workers a living wage. All right, Eric, we have to button it up here. And um, I understand that there's a fund. We talked earlier about yes. the Marissi brothers, the, the two that died at that uh, refinery outside of Toledo. Yes. Can you give us uh, some information on that fund to help the families out? Okay. Um, look, I, uh, off the top of my head, I cannot remember all the information. Um, but I know if you go to Facebook and you look up uh, United Steelworkers Local 1-346, um, and go up on the locals page. The the information is there um, about the fundraiser. Um, they have set up a, a fundraiser in the in the brothers' names. Um, that's to to assist the families. Now, look, the reality is there is no amount of money that could be donated that's ever going to make up for the loss of you know husbands and fathers and brothers and and all that. But you know anything that we can do. Um, to support their families during this this time of rebuilding their lives um, is, is greatly appreciated. Okay, that's uh, the local 1-346. And you said it's right on Facebook then? Yes. Okay, real good. We'll check it out and we'll help them out. Eric, you take care. Stay safe, stay strong. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking in the new year. Okay, brother? All right, well, thank you very much. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, check it in with the American Legion and the Alliance for Retired Americans. Until then, all of you, have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.